this is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. Today I want to talk about magic. Actually, I want to talk about magic and macaroni. It's a very stressful time in the United States. We've had a really painful exciting, terrifying, stressful election. And we're waiting for the results far longer than we're used to waiting. It's been a lot of years since we've had to wait this long. And especially in an election that feels so dire to so many. But there is a silver lining. The silver lining is the millions and millions of people who came out to vote. People who don't normally vote, they were inspired to come out to change the world, to have have themselves be represented. And that's democracy, especially in a time when it feels like our democracy is under attack from outside forces and forces right inside our country trying to bring us down. And here, the whole country, it feels like, where most of us came out to vote. Some of us waited hours. I was lucky. I scoped it out during dinner time, and my girlfriend and I got in and out in 25 minutes. It was a fantastic feeling to know that what you wanted is part of something that's changing the country, making a difference. One vote added to millions. Anyway, it's an exciting time, but it's also very stressful. And it's teaching me a lot about patience. I mean, certainly you could just stay glued to the television every day waiting for the results that you want. Or you could let it go to a certain extent. I've been kind of balancing it, watching a half hour of the news to see what the numbers are and then giving it a chaser, like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer rerun is a good chaser. I watched an episode of Sex in the City that was a good chaser. And I watched a little bit of Spider-Man, you know, something that's just kind of light and silly. And so here we are, late at night, waiting for the world to change yet again. But I'm feeling optimistic. The reason I'm feeling optimistic is because I believe it's time for magic. I think our country and our world, of course, is ready for some magic. A lot of people don't believe in magic. And I don't mean like a magician and his tricks and pulling a rabbit out of a hat. I mean like serendipity, intuition, the power of thought, power of visualizing. I do think if you can visualize a peaceful, kinder, more beautiful country, and if enough people can visualize a peaceful, kinder, more beautiful country. We're going to get a peaceful, kinder, more beautiful country. There's power in that. 
I'll tell you a little story that just happened recently, actually, just the day before yesterday, where a short play that I wrote called Halloween 1981, a powerful short play, very funny one too, about a flamboyant friend I had when I was 17 named Rodney, who woke me up a little too early in the morning for me. Well, it was actually 12.30, but back then, that was early for me. And demanded I go to the Halloween parade in New York City. And the reason was that back then, the Halloween parade in New York City was basically like the second gay pride parade. But I was 17. What did I know about gay pride or any of that? I certainly wasn't ready to say that I was gay either. But Rodney coaxed me out in more ways than one to the parade for a fantastic time. And he refused to let me live in denial any longer. He demanded that I accept and embrace my true self. So I wrote a short play about it. And I've written a lot about it. I don't know, it's interesting that it's come up so much for me lately. So the, uh, we had a rehearsal for the short play. It's going to be filmed because of corona. It won't have a, a live audience. And then the audience will get to see it on film. And I have a fabulous actor named Adrian Bethia playing Rodney. And a really talented young actress named Pilar Gonzalez playing 17-year-old me. I never do get tired of watching other people play me in plays. It's a funny thing. And it's directed by my good friend Charmaine Broad. Anyway, so we were all stressed out about the election. This was Wednesday. Tuesday night had been such a stressful night. And it took all our minds off it. We had a great time. Adrian and Pilar were rehearsing. I was giving everyone potato chips and lentil soup and ultimately sparkling rosé, of course. And it was just great. And the character Adrian was playing, Rodney, is he's such an over-the-top, boisterous, flamboyant gay man. Really pulls your heartstrings. And just as we finished the rehearsal, someone came knocking at the door, cheering with excitement about how the election was going. And I looked out and I realized it was this young man I've come to know in the neighborhood. And we let him in and he came in and just chatted about his excitement and he was over the top flamboyant and thrilled. And we realized as he was talking that he was the embodiment of Rodney. It was like as if Rodney, the character of my play, the character that Adrian was playing, had just showed up to give us his blessing. To make matters even more interesting, I met this young man on Halloween, about four or five years ago when he was just a teenager. He'd come by, I had the sense that he wasn't quite ready to embrace his gay self yet. He'd come by and he had makeup on for Halloween, he's with some friends, And I was really loving to him because I saw something of myself in him at a much younger age. And we've been friendly ever since. So here, while we're in the middle of this play, 
about my old friend who I haven't seen in many years. In comes my new friend who I met on Halloween and is the exact embodiment of Rodney. I mean, when he left, all of us just sat there and I said, that could not be a coincidence. It was just so serendipity is the word I want. I don't know. But it was just what a trip. That's what I'll say, what a trip. It was just perfect. The other thing that was perfect is that we realized that none of us had thought about the election for several hours for the first time. So it was a welcome break. It was just a little bit of magic dust sprinkled into our lives. I do believe in magic. Very recently, a magician named the Amazing Randy passed away at 92 years old. When I was growing up, the Amazing Randy lived in my hometown of Rumson. And it was a really exciting stop on Halloween because he would ring the doorbell to his house and the doorbell would call out, who knows what evil lurks in the heart of man? The shadow knows. Ooh, it was really exciting. I never rang the doorbell any day other than Halloween, but it was pretty fantastic. And back then, nobody had doorbells that talked. And maybe later on, it got to be a little more popular. But it was pretty cool. And I like that the amazing Randy lived to be 92 years old. Because I do love magic. I've always loved it. I never, I briefly considered learning how to do little magic tricks, but it never really was the kind of magic I loved. The kind of magic I loved was something that you couldn't really describe, just a feeling or a knowledge. I'll give you an example. Um, I snuck out when I was a kid and I bought a pocket knife. I wasn't allowed to have a pocket knife. But I got one anyway. I think it was a Swiss Army knife. And I'd seen some movie where someone was whittling wood and I thought it seemed really cool. So I was out in the middle of a park across the street called Piping Rock Park trying to whittle a little tree branch. And I wound up cutting my thumb pretty badly. And then I didn't know what to do because I couldn't go home and tell my mother I was injured because then she'd know something was up and she'd make me give her my knife. So I figured I'd kind of just hide my hand and try to get back to the house and deal with it as best I could and never tell her what happened. And as I was walking back to the house, I saw my mother waving. I saw her hand waving back and forth and back and forth. And the closer I got, the more I realized she was waving a band-aid back and forth and back and forth. So I'd been, oh, I don't know how far away I was. Um, a thousand square feet away, who knows? I was at the other end of the park. But she'd felt me. She'd felt what happened and she just knew. And she never made me give her the knife back either, which was kind of cool. So I grew up with a mother that did that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, she also talked to dead relatives way too much, which was a little alarming. And, you know, what can I say? 
I've already told you about all the lectures I got from my dead Aunt Rosalind through my mother. That part was a little alarming. But the psychic part was just part of the fabric of my childhood. Like I knew that my mother always knew things, things that she couldn't possibly know. I come home from school, I would have had a terrible day, and as I'm walking into the house, she was already there with something to cheer me up, which in my case generally involved pasta of some kind, as I'm a pasta-aholic. I'm pretty sure that's why I became allergic to gluten, because I ate so much of it. But um, my my favorite way to eat pasta was always cold the next day. So my mother would make a lasagna, and I loved her lasagna. It was every, an Italian would probably not approve at all. This was a white trash Jewish lasagna, but I loved it. It was a layer of lasagna with a layer of cottage cheese, not ricotta, a layer of ragu tomato sauce, and then there would be some other cheese would make an appearance. If, My mother couldn't necessarily be bothered with mozzarella, so it would be whatever she had. Some other white cheese. Maybe it'd be some kosher white cheese or white cheddar, whatever. Didn't matter to her. There'd be some, whatever cheese there was would make an appearance. And she'd bake the lasagna and sure it was tasty the day we had it, but that wasn't what I was looking for. It was the next morning, ice cold out of the refrigerator, lasagna for breakfast. Oh, yeah. I loved it so much that my mother even one year made me a matzo lasagna during Passover. And you know what? It really works. You take matzo and you layer it just like it's a lasagna. And you just get it wet enough with a lot of red sauce and add a little bit of water to the red sauce so it's really, really wet. And you bake it and the matzo gets soft, kind of like a noodle. And again, fantastic cold out of the fridge the next day. But my point is, I believe in magic. And I believe what's happening right now in our country is magic. It's like the call went out and woke up a lot of sleeping people to come out and change the world. Maybe it's not the first time we've had to change the world. And maybe it won't be the last but it is our time. I was in the kitchen today cooking for a mini bar mitzvah. Yeah, that's a lot of what's happening during Corona. I'm catering mini weddings and mini bar mitzvahs. And at first I was a little bit, shall we say, kvetchy about doing all these mini events because there's not a lot of money in mini, mini skillet, Mini mitzvah, mini wedding, mini money. I'm used to, I'm a big picture girl. I'm used to big events. But you know what? Dianu, I'm working. I've got the staff working. And I have another chance to make beautiful food. And so today, I decided to channel, you know, my anxiety over the election and my need for change and that little bit of impatience that I've been fighting off into gigantic macaroni and cheese because I've got at least 20 kids to feed tomorrow. And the way I decided to make it, I had my spectacular sous chef, Glory, 
cook the macaroni. And meanwhile, I made the sauce. I took a giant pot. Now this is volume, so bear with me. You'll have to scale it down. But I took a giant pot, and I melted a pound of sweet butter, and I gave it a pint of flour. And because I wanted to be able to taste it as I was going along, and I'm gluten-free, I used gluten-free flour. And I cooked it, and I made a roux. That's fancy French talk. A roux is basically flour and butter, and you get a roux. You can cook it a lot and let it brown a little bit, and then you get kind of a nutty roux, or keep it more white, and then you get kind of a blonde roux. That's what I am. I am a blonde roux. Well, actually, I haven't been to the hairdresser recently, so I'm more of an ash blonde roux. But in this case, I kind of went in the middle. I thought I'll do a half-nutty blonde roux, and that really describes me. I'm a half-nutty blonde roux. And so then as I was getting, you know, that nice roux look that I like, kind of a soft paste, I whisked in a good amount of Frank's hot sauce. It's like a buffalo wing sauce. I love it. And I gave it celery salt and a lot of paprika and Old Bay and some chili powder. Yum. And then I slowly whisked in a gallon of milk and just kept cooking and cooking and cooking. And I got what we call a bechamel. Again, oh, so sophisticated, my bechamel. This would be kind of a white trash bechamel because of the Frank's hot sauce, of course. And I kept cooking it until it started feeling thick. You could feel the flour, and I was getting a little resistance with the whisk. And then I dumped in, wow, I'm going to say a couple of, good couple of pounds of sharp cheddar cheese and Asiago. Basically, it was any cheese I had on hand. I had a lot of chopped up Asiago on hand that was I'd put in the freezer I had left over from a cheese display. And I had a lot of sharp cheddar left over from making grilled cheese sandwiches that I like to serve with tomato soup. Now, that is yummy. Anyway, when it was awesome and cheesy and fabulous, we finished boiling the macaroni, drained it, dumped it in a bowl, and then dumped all this gorgeous cheese sauce over it. I used about 10 pounds of macaroni, so it was a lot. We made a lot of macaroni and cheese. Mixed it all up in a bowl. Then we rubbed butter around our big baking pan We dumped it in the baking pans. We wound up getting three baking pans. Hotel pans, we call them. And then I covered the tops really generously with grated cheddar. Tomorrow, we're going to stick the whole shebang in the oven and bake it so it'll be double cheese. Pasta was mixed up in all that super cheesy sauce and then covered with more cheese. And Man, if that doesn't make you believe in magic, nothing will. But it was elating. It was just elating to do that gorgeous food and to know I could see it now in my head. The faces of those 20 kids. I could feel their smiles one day early. Maybe that's the real magic. And maybe that's the way we might heal ourselves. Have our transformation in this country. But also, maybe pull out our inner child 
because our inner child was not hateful. Well, maybe some of them were, but for most of us, it was not hateful and nasty. Our inner child was not a white supremacist. Our inner child did not want to hurt someone because of the color of their skin. Our inner child did not seek to take the rights of way from women or from gay people or from minorities or immigrants. Our inner child just wanted to have fun and eat yummy food and laugh and giggle and play. Maybe that's what our country needs. It's just been a rough year, 2020. It's time for our inner child to come out and play. For millions and millions of people's inner child to come out and play. Now, how might we do that? Well, I guess the answer is different for everyone. For me, my inner child comes out to play when I laugh. And I have to admit, I have not been laughing enough. I mean, Corona is quite a little bummer, so I haven't been laughing as often as I'd like to. But when I do laugh, a couple of times recently, I felt it in my heart and soul, like deep in there, laughter. And it made me feel young. It made me feel like a child. What do you think you could do to laugh today? And not in a mean way at someone else's expense. To laugh the way you laughed when you were a little kid. What do you think you could do today to pull out your inner child? and Remember what it was that just tickled your heart. I remember when I was, I'm going to say, six years old. My mother used to do something that I thought was the most exciting thing I'd ever experienced in my life. She would take white bread like Wonder Bread and put a spoonful of jarred tomato sauce in the middle of it, you know, spread it around a little bit, and then cover it up with a whole slice of American cheese. Do a few of them, put them on a baking sheet, and put them in the broiler. And the cheese would puff up. It looked, I thought, oh, it looked like a cloud. And it would get kind of brown and crispy and funky. And then she would give us that as a nice snack after coming back from, for me from the first grade. And it was so exciting. Well, you couldn't just put it in your mouth because there was that hot sauce under the melted cheese. So you'd be in a lot of trouble if you just shoved it in your mouth right away. The most fun thing to do was to stab that bubble of cheese with a fork and let it implode. And then I would tear it apart bit by bit. I thought that that was the most exciting cuisine ever invented by anyone. I just thought, wow, I remember bragging about it. My mother makes tomato cheese bombs. That's what they were, bombs. Stab them with a fork, bombs. But wow, exciting. Thinking about it now, I can't imagine anything more simple or less gourmet than that. But it didn't matter. It made me happy in my soul. It made me laugh. It made me thrill. And how often do you get that now? What do you have in your life 
now that makes you feel the way a cheese bomb would, would have felt at the age of six years old. What makes you thrill? I mean, I get thrilled walking around the, along the water on the East River. That thrills me. But it's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real childlike thrill. So, what I wish for this country and for you listening is that you think a little bit about what just made you laugh in your heart, deep in your solar plexus, when you were four, five, six years old. What thrilled you? And how might you recapture that? How might you help people you love recapture that? Because it's time for us to heal. We've been through a lot in 2020. We've had a hard year. We've had a pandemic that hasn't happened, something like that, in 100 years. We've had a lot of fear and hate and anger. We have to ride past that. We have to ride past everyone being on one side of the fence, red states and blue states. Oh, my God. feels like the Civil War brewing. We have to ride past all of that pull out our inner child and laugh and sing we have to make really good macaroni and cheese and if you're gluten free use the gluten free flour and the gluten free macaroni really I'm telling you just as good fantastic actually we have to find a way to bring out our inner child make our inner child laugh and sing and thrill, and then spread that thrill around. And if you're vegan and you don't eat macaroni and cheese, I have another recipe for you. And it's a crazy one. You can't believe it's going to work, but it does. You boil down carrots and onions and potatoes. When it's really soft, you puree it with nutritional yeast and a ton of paprika, you soak cashews and coconut milk, you throw that in too, and you wind up getting something that just, it's just like a cheddar mac and cheese sauce, and then you mix it with macaroni, and you get vegan mac and cheese. It's crazy, I know, but it works. Anyway, listen, it's late at night, and I'm plotting and quetching on Par usual, as my friend Magdalena used to say. I wish you joy. I wish you magic. I wish you healing. Today's episode is magic and macaroni. And I wish you both of those things. This is Rossi, a.k.a. Chef Rossi, on Raging and Eating. And as always, remember, food is love. And so are you.